Stacks and Jacks. Uh, S&P futures down 40. Yeah, 40. We're going south again here. NASDAQ futures down 143. Lou, how are you? Do we have Mr. Lou? Uh, here you are. There, I just heard the uh, just heard the mic connect. How are you? How are you? Hey, uh, our our man uh, Matt on the board now is going to have me squirrely all day. I cannot remember the show that intro was from. Uh, I I didn't recognize it. Oh, it's from one of those, the Big Valley or uh, or oh, okay. uh, High Chaparral or one of those things. Uh, it's not High Chaparral, and uh, it might be. I don't think it's Big Valley. I didn't recognize it, so good. Good. Oh, I remember. Good. I remember uh, it. I don't know if it's Wagon Train. <laughs> It was one, one of those shows I used to watch with my grandmother when I was a kid. I remember nobody thinking about it all day long. Oh well, oh well. Um, how are you? And this, thank you for calling in on a Monday. Uh, all kinds of stuff going on in the world. Uh, new weapons, uh, old weapons not working, old tanks, um, weather problems for the Russians, all kinds of other problems for the Ukrainians. I was reading about how they don't have enough uh, engineering groups to get another bridge across the river, and they need a bridge because they can't get across. I mean, Lou, what the hell's going on other than everything? Um, so I, I think uh, just a couple of points that I would I would make, and since we're we're only got half an hour, I don't want to I don't want to dwell too long on any one thing. But what you're seeing is, uh, I think, an indictment of you know Russia's ability to field an army. And an air force in that kind of coherent, rapid movement that we, you know, sort of believed they were capable of doing. Um, you know, we watched all the exercises with Soviet motorized rifle brigades and uh, uh, divisions in Eastern Europe, and we saw them train for this kind of stuff. Um, and you know, the short answer is they're they're just not very good, at least at this stage. Now, they may be, you know, you, I, I think I made mention of the fact that one of the things that I noted during the uh, initial part of the invasion was how much old equipment that was, was being put on, uh, into the field. You know, T- T-72s and, and uh, T-80 tanks from the 1970s and 1980s, you know, just a mix of, of hardware. Um, you know, it may be that they don't, they, they thought, and I, and I think this is probably the, the initial miscalculation. They thought they were going to execute a lightning pincer move that was going to race into Kiev, decapitate the government, uh, and install, you know, basically force a surrender or an installation of a, a puppet pro-Russian government within a matter of a week or so. And that there, there would be capitulation, and they could they could move they could move forward from there. Uh, they did not anticipate a just how badly the equipment they were using was going to operate. Uh, we now know, for example, that apparently they bought, or I say we now know, it looks like they bought, you know, their tires at Discount Auto <laughs> for a lot of their vehicles. Um, they're flat. They've been the, the vehicles have been left without being moved for for months, which is really bad for military tires because of the weights of the vehicles. Um, they they've they were not prepared when when those things went down to be able to supply them logistically. Uh, their their food and and supply train that that they need to keep an army in the field is is not very good. 
Um, there were reports initially, and I, I wondered about this. I wasn't, wasn't sure whether this was just anecdotal, but it appears to be more widespread that, that their, the troops they were dealing with had been given food rations that had expired back in the early aughts. Wow. Um, yeah, field rations. Um, they, they went in with a bunch of conscripts that they, they thought would be able to just overwhelm the, you know, the Ukrainian and so a major miscalculation on the part of their senior military leadership and, and then I'm going to throw some more stuff in on, on sources that, I've, that I'm following and again a lot of this I can't verify but you know, the analysis that I'm going to give you is based on what we've, what we've actually seen versus and, and, and then on some of the sources we've got so there was a source that uh was allegedly a uh, writing as an FSB that that's a Russian security service analyst who said that nobody really knew there was going to be an invasion until it actually kicked off that they had been instructed to provide a scenario and assessment for a hypothetical exercise for which they were told look this is never going to happen it's hypothetical draft up your analysis so that Russia wins and and that's what they did I, I give it some credence because frankly this is the way the operation has been going it looks like it's it's the result of a plan that was never tested never assessed in any kind of neutral objective way uh, and and you know adopted unrealistically optimistic viewpoints as to how their weapons were going to work, how their troops were going to perform, perhaps most importantly, how the Ukrainians were going to react, and um, how the Western the Western governments were going to react. Well, what's uh, well, Kenny, going into the major engineering of this? I think I, for one, uh, am curious. Well, I wanted I to talk. I want to also want to talk about one other thing before we get to that. Right. This, this relates to your point. So their logistics stuff is, is crap. They're, they haven't taken care of their equipment. They're using very old equipment. The other, the other point that I wanted to make is, where is the Russian Air Force? So this, this falls into my area of, of expertise, at least from the, from the Cold War era. You know, the Russians, the Russians have a lot of airplanes. They, one of the things you saw with, with the old Soviet Union is they kept all of their aircraft in at least flyable condition. And, and there were a lot of airplanes available to them. And, and so that was one thing we had, we had noted. We haven't seen a mass formations of aircraft. And the second thing is they've got a, you know, they've got a fair number of modernized, fairly well modernized aircraft that can fly and deliver precision munitions. We saw this in Syria. But what we did not see was what NATO and Western Air Forces and the guys that I used to fly with and the people who are now flying now practice every day, and that is complex air offensive operations using aircraft to deliver precision munitions in a, across a wide area in large strike packages that have been coordinated among, among you know, the ground forces, the artillery forces, and the and the uh, the anti aircraft forces. So when you want to put you know a strike package of twenty or thirty strike aircraft going into an area, and this is without even having to worry about refueling, 
it requires you to deconflict. That's the term we use. Deconflict with other aircraft in the area, with artillery units, because you don't want them firing shells through the middle, because the shells will reach that that altitude. This altitude, you don't want artillery shells traveling through the area where your aircraft are flying, and with your surface-to-air missile units, who are, are and anti-aircraft units, so they don't shoot at your own people. It it looks like it looks like the Russians are incapable of doing that. At least above, say, attacks involving two or three aircraft, which is what we saw in Syria. They they appear to have major organizational issues, and we know they don't practice this stuff. Oh, just the because average, uh, the average Russian, the average Russian fighter pilot gets less than half the flying time that a that a U.S. pilot or NATO pilot gets, and they don't have the complex simulator training that we that we engage in to bolster that flight time. Well, just because uh, they can do one or two or three type things, uh, I guess I'm not so sure. Unless you see them do it, why would you assume that they could involve twenty people in that? I mean, it's to me, it seems multiples because, more complex because. It is, it is multiply more complex. We assumed that they would be able to do it because modern air forces can do it. And if you're going to field a modern air force with this technologically sophisticated capacity, and they have those aircraft, um, you, you practice this kind of stuff. Are they, are they afraid of all the, uh... you lose the, you lose, the, you lose the advantage your technology gives you if you can't do this. What, um, I've been reading anecdotally, and every once in a while you get a snippet over the last, you know, year or so, or certainly in the last six months, how many anti-aircraft missiles have been somehow shipped, snuck over there, whatever word you want to use. Uh, have they been effective? It seems like there's planes that are down. I mean, you can't really tell. I mean, nobody has, it gives you a count, but there's been pictures there's, of, pictures of mine so the ground. Goes, yeah, this goes to the kind of the third concept I wanted to talk about. Something that, that we refer to as dispersed lethality which is a, a, a nice way of saying we can give an individual soldier or an individual Ukrainian the ability one-on-one to destroy a tank or to shoot down an airplane or a helicopter. The, the uh, anti-aircraft missiles that have gone in there, they're, called, they're referred to as a, by an acronym called MANPADS, um, which is Man Portable Air Defense, uh, Air Defense System, are very good against low-flying aircraft, uh, and, and very effective again in single, you know, against single targets. So you've got low flying aircraft. The, the, the Russians are using low flying aircraft because again, their command and control is not good. So you see these piecemeal kind of to, to deliver uh, precision munitions. You see these piecemeal kind of attacks with aircraft at low altitude and their helicopters at low altitude. Again, not not well organized according to a you know a, a uh, a deconfliction or um, coordinated attack schedule, and and that is exactly the kind of thing that you know could be picked off piecemeal by one guy with a stinger or a, uh, an ikra or a blowpipe uh, kind of system, and and those things are are pretty good if you're not if you're not using you know effective countermeasures like it, you know a, a regular a dispersal of flares. Or uh, IR shielding, yeah, infrared shielding, and and again, we know the Russians are capable of doing this technologically, but the equipment that they were fielding out there was not like that. So, with with the uh, anti-aircraft systems, the, the dispersed anti-aircraft systems, you've got literally, you know, some some grandma 
who's been properly trained with a with a, a stinger can take down a helicopter by herself, or some some seventeen year old with a uh, I think it's called an NG Law, the the next generation light anti tank weapon that we've uh, we've been shipping in there can can kill. I mean, certainly can kill a T seventy two or a T eighty without the without the uh, active protection systems that the more modern tanks have. Uh, they can they can kill a tank. They can kill a truck. They can kill kill uh, a, a a BMP or a a, a, a personnel carrier. Well, what so is the uh, the, well, the, 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 the bottom much. line is if you've got if you've got fifteen or twenty thousand of these missiles scattered around the, around the country and you're a Russian commander, the last thing you want is your stuff on roads in a convoy or or in a piecemeal attack where where some guy can pop up out of a hayrick. Or, or you know, step around the corner of a, of a building in a city and kill one of your vehicles, and then run away. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a it's a nightmare for for uh, for a, a commander. Well, what is and one that, and one that should have been anticipated? Yeah, I I, I don't think they ever thought they were going to get to that. And now, uh, now the danger I, is I, I, well, yeah. the danger is they're going to get more and more destructive. Well, so but it, it's not a danger. I mean, they're doing it now. Yeah. They're, they're already. I mean, so now we revert back to what can we do well? Well, we've got they've got great surface-to-air missile systems in there. Uh, S four hundreds, S three hundreds. They've got the the uh, the local uh, Panther uh, uh, systems that are that are portable. So they've got great SAM systems. So so the establishment so that they can shoot down Ukrainian aircraft and they they've the ability to do that, even though their own aircraft aren't, aren't doing that well. Um, and they've got great artillery systems. And, and you know, you don't have to get into the city to launch multi, you know, multiple launch rocket systems or, uh, or uh, heavy field artillery. You can, you can let the ordnance do it. I, I've seen the video of what appear to be cluster bomb units from, from artillery submunitions being fired into, into urban areas. Yeah, that's what I, know, that's what I was talking about. That's uh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. CBUs CBUs are not illegal per se, but indiscriminate use of that stuff is is against you know the it's against the Geneva Accords. I've seen cl- the fuel air explosives, uh, which are are devastating. I've seen a, what appeared to be one of those go off in a in a residential area in, in Kiev. Some poor schmuck is turning his car down the street. And you see, with a fuel air explosive, there's a there's a characteristic double explosion. There's a pop, an explosion above the ground, maybe you know 50 to 75 feet above the ground, and then a secondary huge blast. Yeah, I was reading about occurs, that. That's pretty scary. Yeah, that occurs that occurs just uh, off from the direction of flight, in the direction of flight. And, and what you're getting, the first pop is a is a dispersal charge that blows this. Uh, fuel or explosive mixture out into a cloud, and then the second, the big boom, is the igniting of the of the cloud. And it, it, they're called thermobaric weapons. It's designed to create a a pressure wave that will kill everything, and and is is devastating, especially to. How's that? How's that uh, any different than uh, flamethrowers, which I thought were like illegal? Well, flamethrowers, flamethrowers are, are not illegal. Okay, uh-huh. uh, but but there are there are some treaties that that are opposed to things like napalm, and I think we've signed that one. 
firearms per se are not illegal. Was that you would have said? Uh, it's not a flame weapon. Was, it, was that you would have said? I love the fl- I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Was that you? Or was that uh, Robert that's, Duvall? Uh, that's uh, apocalypse now. Was that Robert Duvall? Not really. Yeah, not really about not really about Vietnam, but it's a great film. You know, he's uh, uh he's ninety and he decides he wants a kid now. Who? Duvall Robert Duvall. Well, he lived he lived not far from uh, not far from us in uh, when we lived in Virginia, and uh, he and his I think Argentinian girlfriend were uh, were living in a very nice place in the just outside the plains in uh, northern Virginia. But but I digress. Hey, I got so, one, one one quick question, but then I. I read something yesterday that I know you would be all over. Well, probably if you thought about it, you would be. But real quickly, but I, c- I can do this for a railroad car. What What is the life uh, expectancy and use of a tank? I mean, uh, just real briefly. I mean, is it how often do you have to drive it? How 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 many do you think you could actually go a hundred miles without major service down a down a major highway? Or I mean, and how and how often do you do you have to say screw this tank and get a new one? Is it thirty years, twenty years? Well, it depends. It depends on the age of the tank and what's been done with it. Okay. Uh, I mean, our M one, our M one A ones in uh, uh, Abrams in in you know, Syria and Iraq were, you know, tanks built, you know, in the in the aughts in the nineties. So you're talking about a you know ten year, you know, fifteen year service life on a on a vehicle like that. It requires a lot of maintenance. And, and How many countries are, are actively building tanks on a daily basis? Are we? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I don't know whether we're still building Abrams. I assume we are, but not not very many. Our industrial base for that is not is not great. And and again, this dispersed lethality concept. The army is the army is moving away. The Marine Corps already has is moving away from the idea. Of this, you know, these monster main battle tanks that are supposedly impervious because it's almost impossible to make them to make them survivable uh, for too long on a modern battlefield. So the idea now is you disperse smaller, lighter, very lethal systems that can provide protection for crew and fire support, but that and, and that are you know ubiquitous, scattered over a wide area everywhere you look, so that you don't have you know, very expensive tanks like the M1A1, but not very many of them. So you want more, you know, more tanks in more places with that kind of firepower, and and there's a trade-off for that. And and so the idea is that you you end up with confronting the enemy with many targets to shoot at, rather than just you know, ten. And, and so that concept is that concept is, is gaining some traction now. So I'm not sure we're still building the kind of you know heavy weight main battle tanks that you see with with the Abrams. Well, if you so run them through a uh, vehicle, well, as you do with a railroad car, if you have a, a very serious uh, you know re- reconditioning, you can probably get another 15 years out of them. You essentially replace pretty much all the stuff that wears out in them. You know, you know by then we're, what it we're is. Getting, we're getting the impression that the Russians are not. Have not done the kind of reconditioning work on these vehicles that that is necessary to keep them to keep them running. Uh, the next, see, uh, what I see when I see the tanks though on the side of the road, they're either out of fuel or or dead. They've been killed. I haven't seen a lot of you know tanks quote broken down uh, that have been stopped for for maintenance. 
they just, they're just they're just running out of gas. Well, how can you tell if one blew a transit or whether it's out of gas? Um, well, I, I you, you see efforts being made at a repair. Right? Okay, all right, I get it. You know, you, you see you see efforts to jack it up or try to move it. Um, and obviously, when they've been destroyed, you you see the hole inside of them. Uh, maybe a specific. Um, I was reading this weekend, Lou, and uh, um, of course, I immediately thought I, I, know, I know one guy who knows the legality of this. Somebody was putting together an article regarding uh, essentially a, a flying tigers concept, where people oh, an American volunteer, like a volunteer group. Uh, that if you could get, I thought you know better than me that, that virtually all the uh, F-14s were were, were were actually scrap scraps, so nobody would want to use them. <laughs> But anyway, this guy was saying that there's a bunch of them in a boneyard, and there's actually some warthogs in the boneyard. And if yep. you if you could get those things out of there, if somebody wanted to come up with the dough, and you got them flying again, all you'd need is about ten of these warthogs in one of these columns, and there wouldn't be a column. And uh, if something, if you resign from the army, and you get paid by Ukraine, even if it's a buck a day, you become a mercenary, and then it's all legal. Just, I mean, how does that all work? Um, well, I don't know exactly how they would do it, but I will tell you that the irony of using non-uniformed former military people or even active duty military people, the ADG, I was surprised at that, by the way, in some part, uh, to fight as your regular forces for Ukraine is pretty funny, given that that's exactly what the Russians did when they invaded uh, the uh, Donbass region. You know, the little green men, those are all Russian uh, regular troops, but with, you know, just green wearing green clothing and and they had no uniform patches no identification they were all military everybody knew they were military but they fought that way but they were they were irreg- quote irregulars uh, again that's illegal under the Geneva Accords but but if when they were acting on behalf of the of the, the Russian government like that but the use of irregular forces by the Ukrainians for contractor services like uh, like well the, the Russian it's the Wagner group um, for contractor services would, would be fine. I mean, if people want to go over there and fight, they can do it. They could sign up. Um, their equipment could be sold to them by by the uh, government as excess uh, equipment. They could arm themselves with that and fly. Uh, Is that what the uh, Flying Tigers did, pretty much? Pardon me? Is that what the Flying Tigers did, pretty much? Yes. Yes, that's exactly what they did. Uh, they, and, you know, the, the point I would make is that while we love to talk about the A-10s and that big gun shooting up things, the short answer is that, that the best way to do that, because the, the SAM systems that the Russians field are very effective, uh, the best way to do that is not with an airplane. Uh, you need one to deliver it, but with a, with a special weapon. And uh, I've talked on this show about something called the sensor-fused weapon, which was used in Iraq, which was designed specifically to deal with columns or large masses of trucks, tanks and a, you know uh, armored personnel carriers where you throw one bomb over the top of one of these things it separates the the casing separates and out come you know 25 or 30 smart bomblets each one is an anti-tank weapon really they well scatter they yeah and they're guided they're, they they scatter over an area as they come down they have little sensors in them that look and say, I see a tank, I see a truck, I see an armored personnel carrier. They come down over the, they steer themselves over the top of the vehicle. They detonate at a predetermined height. They fire a, about a pound of molten copper, which will burn through the top of tank armor. It kills BMPs and trucks, which are, are more lightly armored. 
and then burns into the burns into the interior of the vehicle and effectively wrecks it. Lou, who thinks uh, of all who, who thinks of all this stuff? It's unbelievable. Oh well, so so I had a classmate. <laughs> you'll laugh at this. Uh, I had a classmate who worked on this bomb. Really? And, and he said the fighter pilot community referred to it as the weapon of thirteen miracles. Oh God! <laughs> well, Lou, we got a dash, buddy. You have a good week. Talk to you on Thursday, your regular time. Uh, S&P futures. We're only down down twenty three now. We've come back pretty much. We're down uh fifty some last night. Nasdaq futures down ninety four. We're down to the two hundreds. So we're making a little bit of a comeback. Be right back, stocks and jocks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com/jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation of the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630 401 8810 or search us on the web at cognoshr.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. 
Well, no, babe, Stacy Jackson, I'm talking about. Give uh, Matt Byrne on the, on the board. We're only Annie's here as well. We got a, a gang of uh, making sure the show goes out well this morning and doing fine. SP Futures only down 23. I say only. They were down in the 40s, 50s last night. SF Futures down 80. They were down in the 200s. And Dow Futures only down 200. So we made a pretty good comeback already here this morning. I don't know if we're going to keep doing that, but we will see. Uh, Nikkei down 764. That's almost 3%. Ouch. Shanghai down 74, 2%. Hang Seng down 847. That's almost 4%. So, uh, big, big moves over there. We got oil prices up nearly 4%. I mean, uh, well, we'll get to the oil in a second. Over Europe, we've got the DAX down 223, 1.7. Let's see, not so bad. Point, uh, 49 points, 0.7. We got the CAC around down 49.8. So they're hanging in there a little better. This is a wave review on Friday. Dow was down 179. Uh, S&P down 34. NASDAQ down 224. So ouch, ouch, ouch there. 1.7% in the NASDAQ. Uh, bonds up uh, 5 basis points to 1.78. It's kind of surprising. You would sort of expect to race the quality here, but not so. Bund over minus again, minus 0.03. Never thought I'd see that again. Uh, Japan up 0.16. A lot of things we haven't thought we were going to see when this war started. We're seeing. Uh, but here's the big number. Oil up another 595, 121.63. Brent up 655, 124.66. Natural gas up 8 cents, 509. Our Bob another 15 cents. 369 is the wholesale price. It's the wholesale price. So don't think you're getting it for under 4 bucks like anytime soon. Gold up twenty dollars nineteen eighty seven. It was at one point over two thousand. Silver up eight cents at twenty five eighty seven. Copper up four cents four ninety seven. Everything is up up up. Crypto not so much down seventy seven bucks thirty eight thousand seven fifty three. So way down from the almost forty four thousand high of last Thursday. Uh, Matt, what are you got for us? Traffic weather sports. Good morning. It is March 7th, currently 6.35 a.m. Let's get you into sports. In the NBA last night, Suns lost to the Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks 132-122. to Tonight, the Bulls go against the 76ers. Last night in college basketball, Illinois beat Iowa 74-72. to Good in game. Ho- Good game. <laughs> Definitely. In hockey, the Blackhawks lost to Tampa Bay Lightning. That was 6-3. to And that's all we got for sports. Currently, the weather in Chicago, you can tell it's very snowy out there, and 35 degrees, uh, high of 37, low of 23, uh, and watch out there because it is very icy out there uh, throughout the entire city. Down in Phoenix, very sunny, 44 degrees, a uh, high of 69, and a low of 44. Now let's get you in the traffic. Overturned vehicle on the Eisenhower, I-290 East, just before South Pulaski, which is causing a slowdown on the Eisenhower uh, from Highway 45 down to Sacramento. There is also an accident westbound 94 at Randolph, causing intermediate traffic between 130th and 43rd, picking up again at Pershing to West Ontario. 94th eastbound, uh, traffic going west, uh, starting at West North Avenue, going to South Union. Traffic I-90 eastbound, 240 to 249th at the uh, ramp to Lawrence. As well as that, traffic I-90 west between Lawrence and 249 North Ramp. And going on to continue, uh, traffic northbound 55 between I... Why don't you just say where is where it's good? Uh, there's not many places like that right now, especially in this weather. Yeah, no kidding. It's a far cry from the 70 and sunny on Saturday. Yeah. And, uh, the I-20 connector, uh, there's also traffic from I-20 connector to South Damon. Uh, currently, that's all we got, Chief. Well, that's enough. <laughs> we have Mr. Flanagan? Um, you do. I'm What's right up, here. man? How are you? I'm fine with yourself. I'm hanging in there. You know, it's uh, all kinds of stuff to talk about. We don't normally get, like, wars and... 
But all that all that nice weather is wasted down in uh, Arizona with no base, no base of ball, eh? <laughs> well, talk about chaos theory, Tom. What else can we add to this mess? I don't know. What was the, what was the the great one in uh, in uh, my cousin Vinny? Can we possibly put any more pressure on this particular case? <laughs> <laughs> but at least there's new theme music to the show. And yeah, it's been. It's been you know, going around in my head, was it a movie? I'm going to say it wasn't. Or was it a TV show? It was it's definitely stuff. a TV show. It was really stuff. I, mean, I did hear the cattle in there at one point, but it's not Rawhide. Or no, it definitely wasn't Rawhide. I'm thinking maybe Wagon Train or something like that. One of the old ones. But it was like this whole stereophonic sound, so it's from some pretty good recording, it seems. It's not like what, what I hear on my TV when those shows are on. There actually is a, there was a uh, tape around with all the different lead-ins of all the of all the different old westerns they were all pretty good talking about the full symphonic treatment you know laramie and um yeah it might have been one of those let me all those you know they were they were like and they had the the characters some of them had themes too you know it was like they were like mini you know hollywood drama sort of so well the one i have you always remember the one from bonanza you remember the one from uh matt dillon you know gunsmoke oh yeah uh yeah, magnificent cool. seven I mean, yeah the movie theme uh, Alma Bernstein's. Movie. Oh God, yeah, there were some big orchestras. Yeah, well, and, you know, the, well, the Lone Ranger was the William Tell Overture, obviously. Right. <laughs> I mean, that was the best. Of the, who, who was better than the Lone Ranger? For God's sake! How, how <laughs> American seen, is that? I've seen every episode like ten times. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. The uh, I, I, I love the uh, YouTube where you can actually go watch like the first couple. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is retro TV stuff now. You know, Annie Oakley, Casey Jones, all these oh, yeah. shows that were you know, practically in reruns when I first remember seeing them. Yeah. They, were, they were pretty ancient then, but to see them again is just like, you know, I'm transported to 1955. It's, it's like unbelievable. They never they never actually uh, gave you the, the Lone Ranger's first name, did they? But you, you no. know his last name. No. You know the last but name because you saw the book. He was just a one-name character, too. So. Yeah. Well, you, you saw them. You knew the last name because the uh, it was the brother's name was on a tombstone. Oh, right. <laughs> but I don't think he ever got his first name. Anyway, um, wh- wh- where do we where do we want to start? I uh, I mean, you know, you know, it's funny. And <laughs> so, some of the stuff that is uh, so, I get this call last night from one of our years ago contributors to the show that knows a lot about oil, right? And he says. What is this boob Trump doing on TV with Marita Bar- Bartiromo, ranting and raving about how he filled up the the petroleum reserve while he was in office? He goes, the guy's a boob. He didn't. <laughs> does does he ever care about him? Anything is re- remotely a fact. <laughs> no. <laughs> a, I you know. I what what do we need that kind of stuff for, John? And this. For those who well, he, you know, he was up, you know, whatever grandiose claims he makes, but it was about energy independence, which is, is long gone off the radar as anything we want or would, would really, you know, want to handle, apparently. But, you know, look at, I mean, one thing about this crowd, you got to say, they're going to push people off of fossil fuels if they have to bankrupt them in the process. And they don't much care how badly, you know, for how long they bankrupt them. But this, this sledgehammer approach to energy alternatives is absolutely beyond me. Well, I, I of course, it's, 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 it's a classic Marxist. Yeah, trend. it's not, it's not very, it's not very well thought out. I mean, uh, the well, it's all about you know thinking in terms of, of utopian solutions without any shred of sympathy or sense of the, the real cost that this kind of 
transition could could actually mean. And it's just damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. We know better. You got to get on board with this. You'll love us in the long run. I mean, how many people have died with sold down the river because of that kind of philosophy? Uh, a lot. Well, you know, it's a there's there's several uh, you know things going on, though, John. It's it's like the chessboard that you know Spack and Kirk used to play with the three three different uh, dimensions. It's if if you really are serious about encouraging you know some sort of uh, renewable energy sources, and I and I I by, by the way I'm I fully support that uh, wherever you can wherever it's uh, practical, and I, pr- I certainly support the research, and I, wherever you can possibly do it. I mean, the idea of of using a diesel locomotive going across northern New Mexico and Arizona with the winds and the sun, like like the Sahara Desert. I mean, you mean you can't do solar or, or wind out there for God's sake? At least for that that five hundred miles. I mean, um, you you sort of can't do that if if you're if you're uh, also pushing to make gasoline cheaper by federal, you know, if, if you're giving out federal energy credits to people, you you sort of got to make it fair along the way. You don't want to, you don't really want to uh, encourage either side. Maybe, you know, um, actually, maybe you do, John, a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say that when the nuclear plants were built, um, probably they they weren't competitive at the time to coal. I'm going to say. Uh, but here they are, you know, 50 years later, still running on their cheapest stuff we've got. So sometimes the new technology needs a little bit of a push. So I don't really have a problem with that as long as it's a little bit and as long as it's well thought out, right? I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, the idea of credits for you know, retrofitting or rehabbing or solar panels, all this stuff, it encourages people... You know, by, by doing this, you save money somewhere in your tax bill, or you can, you know, cut your expenses gradually and, and maybe significantly over time. But what they're doing in New York State now, you know, saying you cannot build a home or a residential building um, to be heated by natural gas after a certain date is, to me, ludicrous. Because the more you cut off alternatives um, to providing energy, the more you create a behemoth system that is totally vulnerable and will develop you know, issues that we don't know about yet, but you'll, you, there won't be any flexibility to it and there won't be any fault. You're, you're, we're, we're, you're way better off. First of all, I, we got to get a, we got to get, how's that for being south side? Uh, you know, an engineer, well, Carl's pretty close to that. Actually, Lou probably took engineering. I, I, I refuse to believe, I'll bet you a dollar, Mortimer, that it's way more efficient to burn gas in your furnace at home than it is to burn gas gas in a, uh, a you know a, a power plant fifty miles away and run it over wires. I, I bet it's not even close. I mean, I'm going to say it's not even close. Now, if if we if we cared about cutting back on energy in this country, we would have a countrywide program to insulate homes. I bet that we have the, the, the housing stock in this country is. Horse bleep in a lot of areas. You go to some of these old towns. You go to some of these bad neighborhoods. John, is there even any insulation? There's, when's, when's, when's the last time somebody put a new window in or bought a tube of caulk? For God's sake, right? I mean, we we could we could save boatloads just by retrofitting a lot of these homes. I, I mean, I think you could probably do ten, twenty, thirty percent of home easy. Some maybe fifty. Um, I mean, there, there, there's ways to go about doing this, and and and. 
do I think a, a, a windmill in a spot with an awful lot of wind is a good idea? Hell yeah. You know, I mean, uh, even, if, even if you have a, a home on top of a hill somewhere, one of those little ones that look like a globe that spin, if you can burn, you know, put a battery and, and burn all your lights at night off that thing, do I think that's a good idea? Yeah. Why, would, why wouldn't I? But this, this wholesale, everybody who has a car now is, uh, is bad. I mean, right, if, you know, when the people are riding around in cars themselves or, or taking planes to vacation, I mean, come on. It's not like you're walking to Florida. You know, I mean, well, I, did you, you remember when Pete Buttigieg was at some, made some appearance early in his tenure as the Secretary of Transportation and he was, you know, pushing, you know, green energy and, you know, getting rid of every bit of your carbon footprint and he shows up to this meeting in a gigantic SUV, gets out of the SUV about a block away from where he's supposed to end up, puts on a helmet, takes a bike out of the tailgate, gets on the bike and rides, you know, this is caught on somebody else's video. Oh, God. It's like, well, I mean, is, is this what you want people doing? Is this, is this the kind of model you're, you're really setting here? It's, it's about shaming people into having appetites that Americans have not really ever felt guilty for having, like a car and being able to put gas in it. This is not too much to ask for most people, but it's becoming something that, you know, you, you better, like, shift your priorities because that's not on your horizon. That's not going to be, be happening to you for much longer. Well, how dare they do this to people? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, they need a... I mean, if you're going to do that in Chicago, I'm going to say that I would, uh, you know, I well, I'm probably all dead. I was that for a bad way of looking at it. There were a couple guys at Pullman that were very, very good. I could probably map out, well, who knows what the city's going to look like with the neighborhoods we have that everybody's left. But if you actually decided you want to make a city out of the place, again, which I don't know if anybody really wants to, where you're going to have some manufacturing here, you're going to bring stuff back in, and, uh, and you know, have jobs here in the city, which I don't think a lot of people even want, you know, in some areas. Certainly the yuppies don't want them. All they want is, is all the yuppies living around them. They don't want anybody near there that has, actually has a a factory or some place that might smell a little bit or something, you don't want any of that. Or you don't want those, those kind of people around you, right? So, I mean, it's a real, it's a class thing. But Chicago is way too big to only have, you know, white-collar people that work for Google. I mean, I'm sorry, it is. It's not San Francisco, and even that's not working there. But uh, if you're going to do that, I could probably sit down with some people who knew more than me, and I could take some streets where your, your uh, streetcars would go one way and come back the other, you could absolutely invest in a city like Chicago to where it would be a hell of a lot easier to walk out your door, walk a block, hop the streetcar, have some Wi-Fi, ride that to work. And uh, you now you need segregated right away. You're not in traffic. And uh, and, and, and if we were to comb the, cover the city with stuff like that, could we cut the car usage down very pleasantly in, in over, a, over a period of time by 30 40%? Absolutely, if we wanted to. We don't want to do that. We don't, we don't want to have any... any any real serious way of doing this, we're, we're, we're happy to put, you know, 20,000 people, uh, when we take down, uh, you know, uh, the hospital, uh, Children's Memorial, and some buildings there that are totally against the zoning, so that the, the Fort and Stop, or the Belmont Stop Fort, I think it is, that already is jammed, and now you can't even get an L there in the morning. We have no thought about another, another L line. We have nothing like that. I mean, we don't, we're, we're absolute idiots collectively, and yet, yeah, we're going to tell people what to do. I mean, you're going to tell that person who can't even get on the all in the morning he shouldn't drive to work. Well, why? Why? Why isn't there another way for him to get there? I mean, this you know this is insanity, John. We don't we don't have anybody with any foresight that anybody can believe on anything. 
And I sent you to think about, you know, the Trump thing. What what, what purpose does it serve to get on national t- TV and and, sell, and and tell a fat lie and have Marina Bartiromo suck it up like if she's uh like like if you're giving her candy? What 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 purpose does that serve anybody? For those that don't know, I'm looking at this Strategic Petroleum Reserve quick facts. The maximum in there was on December 27, 2009. The inventory of 726.6 million barrels was the highest ever. Uh, in fact, now during, and I'm not saying he was wrong in any of this stuff, by the way, and, uh, the, uh, here's by site and all these different kind of stuff. But here's, here's the, the past sales. Now, the last time I recall, he was president from what? 16 to 20? 1721, yeah. Okay, well, okay, so, uh, 2017, they sold, uh, 6.28 million barrels. 2017 mandated sales of 10 million. 2018 mandated sales of 14 million. 2018, moderniz- what's a modernization sale? 4.74 million. A mandated sale, so he actually dropped it by 50, 60 million barrels while he was in office. I'm sure every time he did it, there was a reason for it. I'm not criticizing him at all for doing it. Just don't, just don't come on TV and say you're the one who filled it up. You weren't. What, what, what does that even do, Jan? What, what is well, that? You, but you pair that up, up against Biden's, you know, you know, riding to the rescue, saying he's going to release money from the strategic oil reserves and fix our problem. I mean, this is just spit in the ocean. This doesn't mean anything at all. So um, you, you could do the maximum uh, drawdown capability is 4.4 million barrels a day. That's a lot. We, I'm not saying they're doing anywhere near, uh, the uh, what's our consumption every day? Um, and I'm saying like five, but I'm, you know I need to look that up. I mean I can be way off on it. I shouldn't. I shouldn't even really say that. I'll find it on break. Uh, it, it takes 13 days from the presidential decision for it to make it to the market. It's a lot quicker than I thought. Um, so I mean, it, I'm, I'm not. And now, now to the other side of the coin, the Biden situation. There were two people on. Was here pretty early this morning. So I was watching CNBC, and they've got a. Uh, somebody from the Biden administration, not saying, just oh, just saying, what do you think? Black female, okay, which I have no problem with, but just saying it has to be. I'm talking about the Biden situation, and there's a there's an old grumpy conservative guy on there, looks like me, only in better shape, uh, and he's a he's a an old uh, monetarist guy, and he's in, and, and, and he said, uh, but she's very insulting, you know, which is I guess you could get away with if you're black female. Um, she said, it's, it's obvious to me you didn't even read the speech. Because the guy said everything that Biden didn't say anything about inflation and how he was going to combat it. And she immediately jumps on him and says, you obviously didn't read the speech. And he said, by the way, I read the speech like twice. <laughs> you know, he goes, he outlined all the problems. He never once said what he was going to do about it. He never once said he was going to cut the Fed back. He's not going there, there was no solution there. There were just all kinds of crap regarding, uh, you know, the supply chain this, supply chain that, and, and, and greater this over the next 10 years, and it'll come down. He said, that's, that's not a solution. That's no solution at all. And she immediately launches back into the, you didn't read the speech. You're, you're the guy at fault. Let's, let's attack the person. The fact is, the man said nothing about how he was going to combat it, nothing about how he's going to cut back on spending. And the guy says to her, all he does is spend. Every time you spend, you make it worse. And she kept saying, you didn't read the speech. Well, yeah, that's all he said. He's going to keep spending. I mean, I, 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 I can't believe that the people around him aren't saying, hey, Joe, this is how you get inflation. What's the matter with you? Or maybe they're of the same ilk. I only put the lady who wrote the uh, modern uh, monetary theory on, on like, one of his his uh, his team. Why would you do that? 
I mean, are they in Nanai land? They could just keep printing money and think it's okay, and that and that they're not the cause of it. Could, what what would they be doing differently, Tom, if they were, you know, really trying to crash the economy? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. If, they were, if they were trying to create inflation, well, they did the same thing in the sixties and seventies. They did it for all the right reasons, and, and and as Milton Friedman said in class twice, maybe more, he said nothing feels better than the first part of inflation. People get to raise prices. Everything's cool. By the way, 105 bucks in the Suburban yesterday, and I got three quarters of a tank. Is How that does a that fit? Personal record for you, Tom? Is that? Uh, well, 100, I think I've spent over 100 bucks before because the oil's been here, gas has been here before. But I think I at least got a full tank. Yeah. Well, it's 430 a gallon. So that's what is it? That's 25 gallons. I got a 42 gallon tank. And it was near. It was near E. What an idiot for not filling up last weekend. I blame Audrey. She was out of town. I didn't go out to Orland. Yeah, I blame Audrey. <laughs> Just saying. Well, I, I love it when these commentators get on and say that you know you didn't read the speech, and of course they feel pretty safe saying that because how many people actually could sit through the whole thing? Oh God! And know oh, whether God. she's lying or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean. But I mean, the fact is, they are, they are doing nothing. I mean, they are still building the balance sheet. The money supply is increasing by, they're down to about 13.5% on an annual basis per month. And if you actually, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody last night and, uh, they were saying that they, they think the inflation is like 11%. I said, what do you think it is? I said, it's about 11, 10, 11 right now. And, uh, you know, it may actually come down a little because, they were they were growing the money supply more. Nobody even mentions it, Jan. It's like I, I don't get it. And then, uh, so what you're, well, my food expenses, Tom. I mean, maybe yours are, are I'm sure they're probably similar, or comparable, but uh, they're more than eleven percent higher than they were six months ago. For oh, uh, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. But, 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 it's, but it's, it's, it's never it's never even. Uh, it's never even, Jan. So right. I mean, when, when you look at. Uh, uh, you know, for for a long period of time, you know, I, I talk about this all the time. For a long period of time, if you were to take, you know, two thousand to uh, certainly uh, up to two thousand and ten, there was inflation, but it, it really started in, in earnest when they started pouring money in after the two thousand and eight fiasco. But it, it, it's been creeping along higher than anybody thought. It's, it's all been in hospitalization and education. Food was was relatively stable, you know, uh, and certainly. Uh, you know, like men's clothing's been stable, electronics have been stable, have probably been going down. I mean, if the cost of a of a cell phone per month is a lot less than it was twenty years ago, right? I mean, there's there, there's a lot of things that are that are. I mean, your your TV is either, you know, it's it's. But the thing of it is, you buy a TV once, you pay your, your health insurance every month, right? You know, so it's. I mean, I don't know how exactly the. Uh, well, they look at it as the as the. Is the size of a basket, the CPI. But you, you see some of the stuff, uh, like even last month, the PPI, when it came out with what, of a rate of, uh, of 10% a year, right? Well, your, your products were 13 and a half and your services were 7 and a half. So what that tells you is the, the price of going to the barber is up 7%, and yet the price of the barber going out and buying stuff is 13. I don't know if you saw this, uh, Mount Prospect, uh, school district. Doesn't want to take this uh, new package, which gives them a three percent raise a year over the next I don't know, five years or something. So and they they, they want years over th- 
three years or it's it's nine percent uh, over three years or something, something like that. Yeah, and uh, and, of course, and they and they want you know fifteen percent or something or thirteen percent over three years. I'm going even that's not nowhere near enough. Now of course you could say that over the last twenty years teachers have done a lot better than, than the rest of the population, and that would be true. But but then but to ask them to take three percent a year for the next three years. I mean, if you're going to say you guys are catching up, you got too much over the last decade, but they, that's one thing. But they're not saying that. They actually think that that's enough. How's that enough? Well, but they're just cushioning a pay cut. Yeah. It's a, it's a pay cut. I mean, who, I mean, who's kidding who? Well, you saw Lawrence Summers over the weekend brought up stagflation, as you have before on this show. That, oh, you can't say that. got all the indicators of that. That's like running out to, it's like running out to the practice team and yelling shank. Remember that in Tin Cup? Shut up, shut up. No, I mean, it, it, but it, it, it's, it's there. I mean, I, how do you even, how do you even attribute, if you've got an inflation rate of 13%, how do, how do we even think there's growth? I think our growth is minus two, three. Easy right now. It has been for two years now. Maybe, maybe minus five. When you, when, when you have inflation aside, how do you know where growth is? Whatever numbers they churn out or, or crank out. Um, it, all of this is being packaged in a way that conceals the real pain. I mean, every, the people at the bottom know the pain better than anybody else, but even the, the people a little higher up on this pain scale are being lied to shamelessly. The, the people, we've got to break here, but the people who are absolutely buried is if you, if you happen to be making, say, 55, 60 grand a year, and you're not getting health insurance, you are screwed, and that's that's the that's the that's the polite word. I mean, you are screwed because you don't get any help. You got trouble, and, uh, and 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 you know, God help you. I mean, if you're under there, at least you're going to get some help, right? If you're over it, but if you're you're, you're just over, you know, God bless. S&P futures down uh, thirty six, Nasdaq futures down one twenty eight. We're trying. We made a run higher than that. Now we're coming back down again. Be right back, stocks and jacks. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? 
Give Chiromed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks, and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Blowing up at Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. Matt Byrne and Eliani both on the board this morning while Eliani's watching Matt. I think Matt doesn't need much watching anymore. As they futures uh, down 121, uh, S&P's down 36. Again, it's not as bad as they were last night, but they're worse than they were a half hour ago. Hey, Jan, you know what I'm surprised to see here? Uh, since we have a government that's broke, right? Um, guess, guess what these guys say our average price paid for oil in the reserve is. Oh, let me sit down first. <laughs> okay. They claim it's twenty nine seventy a barrel. I, I say start selling this stuff. At one hundred and twenty bucks a barrel, what the hell? Even I could say, see ninety bucks a barrel. We can use a scratch. Last time I heard. Oh, dude. Is that is that too south side way of looking at it? Just saying. So, what do you think? You now are you a big investor in Royal Dutch Shell? Uh, nope. But <laughs> so I've already caught this one. This is an article by Matt Clinch and uh, CNBC. Shell defends decision to buy discounted oil from Russia. So they bought a hundred thousand metric tons of flagship. What the guy's name is flagship Earl's crude. Earl's. Um, I don't know. I don't, how, how does a how does what is a metric? How many how many barrels are in a metric ton? Do you have any idea? I don't. No. Um, I'm thinking quite a few, but uh, well, how much? How much is a what's a barrel of oil? Well, how much is a 55 gallon drum? I used to I used to haul these things around the uh, truck tax. You know, they had a a real interesting little a a, a, uh, a dolly that was just for 55 gallon drums. You ever seen one of those things? You're working a truck tax. I've seen them, and I've worked in places that had them. Yeah. It's a dolly that has looks like a little a couple of little. Uh, Metal, for lack of a better term, they look like a big, uh, almost like a chisel on the bottom, and there's one on the top. So you put the one on the top in, and they just clamp together. And right? Well, you know, and you yank it toward you, and and you pull it up on the ones on the bottom. So it's like a three point stance, and you can wheel this big old drum, fifty five gallons is a lot. Was it like, what's what eight eight and a half gallons of eight and a half pounds a gallon or something? So what is that? Almost five hundred pounds. You wheel the thing around like it's kind of nothing, but. And anyway, a barrel, a barrel's a lot, and uh, so, so the interesting part is now they claim now that they're going to, when they sell this oil for the huge profit, that they're going to sell the, uh, they're going to give Ukraine the proceeds. <laughs> now, really, um, but two things, Jan. There's always, there's always two, you know, there's always conflicting things in the world. And if you go back to the Iraqi situation, when. Iraq had all that oil, and, and Saddam Hussein was was still in power. They said, "Okay, you can start selling oil for humanitarian reasons to buy, you know, band aids and penicillin and all the you know the usual stuff that people need for humanitarian stuff. We'll let you sell a certain amount of oil, but you can only get it twelve bucks a barrel instead of the thirty or so it was going at the time. 
Well, Jen, if you know anything about economics, you know, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's not going to work. Somewhere enough, enough thumbs are going to, in that, in that $18 pie between 12 and 30, somebody's going to find a way to resell that somewhere and resell it somewhere else. And when it finally hits you're in my gas tank, it'll be 30. I mean, that, that you can absolutely guarantee if you know anything about economics. And sure enough, they had a, was the, what's the name of the, the French firm was all involved? Uh, what the hell's their name? No, the French oil, oil company, uh, I'll think of it. Um, it's, it's, a, well, it's obviously a French name. But they, uh, and of course the, the, the people who were benefiting from like five or six bucks were Saddam's goofball kids. Cause they were making a fortune on the thing. Um, anyway. But two things. One is, people will say, hey, once the oil gets in the system, you never can figure out where it came from. Yet, from what I understand, Jan, I don't know if you know anybody in the marijuana the hooch business. In, in Illinois, uh, the DNA of, if you go into one of those places and say, and buy a thing of hooch, I don't know about the edibles, but the regular stuff, um, there's, there's guys that can stick a needle in there, take a sample, uh, run a test on it, and they can tell you exactly not only what, what distributor it came from, but what plant it came from. So, and there are people that can do that with oil. So if you really wanted to, you could absolutely know that this oil came from Russia instead of Venezuela, instead of Pennsylvania, instead of Texas, instead of Bakken. Uh, but of course, nobody, they don't want, they don't want to tell people that. They want to just say, oh no, once, once it's in the system, you can't. I mean, if you, if you actually cared, which nobody ever really does for oil, right? Uh, you can find, you can know exactly where it came from, from what I understand. You can essentially chemically test the oil just like you can DNA. And they're all different from wherever part of the world they come from. They're slightly different. I mean, they're not, not really different. Well, just one more example of, you know, denying the science because you've got some political reason to do it. Yeah. <laughs> without, a t- without reference to the science, so. <laughs> well, uh, Janet, on a psychological basis, and, uh, we should have our buddy Dr. Jansen on, uh, um, Every time I think of uh, him being Dr. Johnson, remember that show that was on TV or HBO with the Masters? Was it who were the, the sex researchers at Masters and Johnson? Yeah, our buddy Dr. Johnson does not look like that Dr. Johnson. <laughs> Did you watch any of that show? Oh yeah. Oh god. <laughs> was she smoking hot or what? <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> Uh, so every time I think of our buddy Dr. Blade, I don't, th- I don't, when I say Dr. G.S., I'm usually think of her and not him. Now, is that bad? I don't know. It means I still have a pulse. I don't know. It means something, I guess. Uh, anyway, the, uh, we, if he, we asked him, uh, we may ask him, uh, actually maybe we'll ask him on, uh, on when you, when you're on on Thursday. Uh, where, where does he think Putin is psychologically? I mean, uh, is he gonna, gonna, is the, uh, the mess ups Lou was talking about this, the Soviet army uh, they're already starting to have to, to do more damage than maybe they planned on who knows what the plan was and now is that going to continue to get worse and worse and worse to the point where they can't fail even though they they clearly are failing and the, the, this will just take a weak gig uh, where, where do you think he stands mentally well I, I you know, will go out on a limb and say he's probably the, the sounder mind than the people in Washington today, but um, because you know, when they start poking the Russian bear, as they've been doing, and they've been doing it for a long time, really, for at least the last ten years in Ukraine alone. Um, 
they've been waiting to see what kind of a response they can get and, and how far they can push the situation right on you know, Putin's doorstep before he springs into action and what kind of you know, game plan he may have. And of course, it's, it's easy to villainize somebody who you think is a villain and has been portrayed as a villain and you know, our enemy, but th- this to me is like the worst kind of saber-rattling because we are in absolutely no position to respond immediately or even you know intelligently should the need arise unless we, we are going to you know as Blinken seemed to say over the weekend we're going to go on the line now for the Baltic states because they feel threatened in all of this which is due entirely to provoking are, are they are they in uh, in NATO I think they are aren't they yeah yeah well it's a different we uh, we signed an agreement with them right and, and you know, all of this is, is you know stuff if do you really I mean there's a lot of you know emotional and ethnic ties between the Baltic and the U.S. and you know the, the, the Scandinavian countries are, are pretty worried about this too. But what were we thinking if we thought that this was somehow going to, you know, play out in some predictable way? And these kinds of threats wouldn't be on the table. Uh, clearly, we, we didn't. We, we weren't using that in our calculus for whatever you know forced us to do the takedown in 2014 of the elected government in. Ukraine to one that was, you know, allowing casino politics that the U.S. was benefiting from and putting everybody's, every politician's child on the Ukrainian, you know, natural gas company payroll. Uh, at what point did Okay, but that was, well, some of that was, was when the Soviet puppet was in there. A lot of it. The guy with the big palace was a Soviet puppet, right? The, well, the, well, this is going back, you know, 15 years, yeah, yeah. or something, 20 years. Which I, I have, uh, I mean, you and Carl, and uh, I don't think Lou's with you other conservative dudes on this one as much, but uh, I, I don't, as you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not shy about criticizing our government, all right? But I honestly think I do it in the American way. I don't want us to screw up because I don't think there's ever been anything quite like us. And if we go down, any kind of hope for real democracy, <laughs> I, th- I think goes down with us. I, I mean, my 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 uh, criticism a lot of times is 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 more pointed and more and more personal, I think, than than, than maybe you guys th- think it is. But I mean, I, I really I don't like anybody in there who screws up and lies to me. But I, I I'm a little I, I can't really go there on this part about. I understand that they're they're close to Russia, and I know what the you know the you know we were we we our foreign policy in a lot of ways is is designed to get. More markets for our big companies, and our guys, I think, are way too aggressive in that in a lot of areas, and I think they benefit our big companies. It's almost like their their reform policy for Coca Cola, for God's sake, you know. And I I got a real I have an issue with that, but I also know that I mean I I really don't in areas if I'm in the Ukraine and I'm a you know uh, we have our, our girl Angelica obviously that we all really like from the station here. I don't I don't want her friends in Ukraine together with these guys in Russia where 50 people steal all the money from the whole place and they're going, they're going down a rat hole and they don't have anything like an election. I, I don't, I don't want that. As, as imperfect as we are, I'd rather have what a model something like ours where, where you can actually have your own place and, and a couple of hoods don't take all the dough. I mean, I, I don't have any problem educating people in Ukraine that Russia's not the way. I mean, I really don't. I mean, I, I, no, I don't. Well, my, my contention, though, Tom, is that we have we have t- 
turned Ukraine into the corrupt mess it is now. Well, that well, I'm with you on that. I'm totally I'm with you, on that. but the idea that we we have no business telling people in Ukraine there is another way than the. But I, the my problem with us is we're getting more like Russia than we think. That my, I mean, I mean my, you know, you know, my problem is what are they, But I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to separate the two. You know, my problem with the with the fascist crap that's going on here. You know that I have huge problems with that. You know, I have, I have massive issues with Mike Madigan being indicted and Commonwealth Edison not. You know, when they're, when they're the ones with the twenty percent increase over the over over, or actually it's a gas company. And but they pay a fine and walk. And they pay, they pay a small fine. By the way, they add the fine to their costs, so they get more next time. I, I have and huge we're problems. For it every month yeah. Here. yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you, I, I'm just trying to separate out the two. But I, but the idea that that we shouldn't encourage Ukraine to be what we, oh, let's put it this way: people like us and our listeners aspire to. The fact that we're not going down that road, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever I have to to get us back on the road. But, but I do think know, that's I our think road. Putin's got our number on this stuff, Tom, because I mean his, his speeches recently have you know poked fun at the U.S. for its woke military and its you know genderless bathrooms and everything else, which we are a, a sitting duck for. You know, we, well, we, we make ourselves ridiculous. Well, you know what, Jan, we, look, we become what Lenin and Stalin and Trotsky and his you know Putin's ancestors saw as the solution to running a gigantic country was to pretty much imprison everybody and give away all the goodies to the people at the top and enslave yeah. and imprison and, and murder everybody who wasn't with the program. Well, and if he... This is, I mean, I'm not, I'm not drawing exact parallels, but we are closer to that kind of Marxist state in this country than Russia is now. To I think we're, we're close to a fascist economic state. But, I, but when I... Anybody, I mean, even Putin, if he looks at the performance of his military versus ours the last two or three times we've had to use it, it is night and day, buddy. I mean, I mean I, you, know, you know, I'm not a big, let's go conquer somebody, but I would much rather be, be in one of our airplanes than his. I mean, look, I mean Lou just said these guys, are, how old is this stuff? Right, but look at how we manage things, Tom. Look at the debacle in Afghanistan. Look at the, the waste in the Pentagon. I, look at the, I, the, I'm with the you on all that stuff. decisions we've made about the engagements we've made and totally misspending trillions of dollars. And yes, we've got great equipment, but, but do we really know how to operate? Well, we so here, here's the problem, Jen, is the people who got the know. money don't think it was misspent. They think it was done just right. <laughs> well, that's, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the, therein lies the rub. <laughs> I mean, do, do you think people's gas... All, all they need is more money, Tom. <laughs> Do you think people's gas doesn't feel that the last increase is totally justified? I'm sure they do. You well, they've already spent it. You know, they, yeah. They, they just, they, well, but, you know, this is the, the thing. You know, we, it isn't like we've got any shortage of ingenuity or, you know, inventiveness when it comes to strategizing war and planning for it and, you know, finding ways of funding it and building stockpiles of horrendous weapons. But in the actual way these things are used, what is our track record? Start with Vietnam. Start with you know, how many failed enterprises has the U.S. military been involved in? Where all we've done is create refugee crisis after refugee crisis, which is another burden on this country that nobody seems to want to talk about. Biden didn't talk about it in the State of the Union, certainly. But we we have all this all these resources, and we are clownish in the way we watch after them, and and in the way we actually use our weaponry when we feel forced to. And, and we, we make bad situations far worse. We 
drag things out far longer than they have to be, and now we're turning the military into something that seems less prepared to fight. Well, I, like you say, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I absolutely don't want to lose the ideal, and I and I and I clearly think that our our way is the right way, and when I and I see as many parts as you are that while when mine's more more money, more num more numbers, you guys know more about the politics than me, but I I think that we, I mean, the idea that we're gonna that, that we're going to now, over the next two or three years, unless we do something dramatic with uh, savings interest rates, which I don't see on the horizon because the government rates are going to go up, I think we're going to take, especially if the market craps out, which it looks like it's on its way to doing, hopefully not too bad, um, I'm going to say we're going to uh, take 30 to 40% of the entire wealth of this country out through inflation in the next five years. And how long is it going to take before somebody actually says that? More than three or four years, Tom. And why? Why is why? Why are we so collectively either shut up or stupid? Well, you know, I I am with you on the idea that we have an image and we're the last best hope and all of that, but we're kind of propping it up now because we, we haven't figured out how to do it in a, to back it up in a meaningful way. We need we need a, an internal revolution here of some kind where we elect somebody from the outside. That isn't Trump. That actually is a mensch. That actually cares about doing the job right and isn't a, a psychopath. And how are we going to do that? Everybody who's even made a move towards something like that. I don't. I mean, I don't know the guy at all. How good he'd be? The guy from Starbucks. How long did his his campaign last? Four days. I mean, one. Well, and there were stories behind all of these, you know, pop up candidacies that go way right. I mean, there's there's been some other arrangement made or some other deal. You know, that's in the in the wings that you you never hear about. But the fact that they happen at all and then they go away so quickly, and and in the case of Buttigieg and Klobuchar, when they dropped out together, makes me think that all of this is you know it's run not by you know the political organizations of these candidates by something else, which is apparently not running it very intelligently. Well, but I mean, when, when Tom Dart went out to it, I'm not going to speak for Tom. I, I know the guy who used to be in the same club as me. Not that I was in a high end club. It was one where all the traders were. Uh, I mean, I, he went to Washington. He was every he had every intention of running for mayor. He went to Washington. Came back. Said, "I'm not running." Well, who the hell did he talk to out there? And what they say? I mean, they give him money. They threaten his kids. I mean, I, you know, something happened. Why did Why did Arnie Duncan all of a sudden say he's not running? I mean, is he, I mean, I'm mean, not saying that. I, I'm not so sure I'd want that job. But there's a million reasons. I just hope they're his reasons, and that's some reasons that somebody lobbed in front of him. I, I think it's getting dirtier than hell here, Jan. I really do, and I and I want to fix that as best I can, but. I mean, I, I went one day, I, I told you it was a, uh, it was a snowy or rainy day, and I'm thinking I'm not going outside. And I spent about an hour and a half on the computer just going through a few states and what it, what it would take to get on a presidential ballot in a state. A primary. It, it's, or not the presidential ballot. It's, it's, it's almost impossible. I mean, and yet the, the two big parties, they don't even have to come up with signatures in some states. They're already there. And there's no way you get on. I mean, I mean, maybe you could do it five or ten states, or you probably, I guess if you had enough money, you'd probably get on in the, you know, the 20 states where if you happen to win 10 of them, you could actually win, right? But you're, I mean, it was, uh, wasn't the last, ele- was it the last election or the one before? Was it the first time ever a, a third party was on in all 50 states? Or maybe, maybe, uh, I don't, I don't even think, uh, what's his name was? Who was the guy with the big ears? Uh, well, incorrect is that. Tells his name. The, the, the electronics company. He ran with Bush and Clinton. Oh, Perot. 
Yeah, it was. I don't know. Was he even in all fifty states? I don't think he was. No, and it's been traditionally practically impossible. I mean, maybe to get on the ballot, but to actually have an organization that that can be competitive that is actually going to you know yield votes to you. Um, it's, it's hard to do that, and there's, it, there's reasons why it's hard to do that. Oh, sure. Um, why would I want anybody running against like me? It this way, and you, look, look at, look at Illinois. Just, I mean, it's maybe the worst case scenario, but probably not the worst case scenario. I'm, I'm sure there are states worse than us. But the number of uncontested races yeah. in every primary now, um, let alone general elections, where you know there's no choice at all. This is what the Soviet Union had raised to an art form with their so-called, you know. Plebiscites and elections. There's nobody running against the people who are already anointed to get that job, and this is where Madigan has excelled. And you know that organization isn't going to be dismantled just because Madigan maybe goes away. Whether he goes to prison or not is kind of beside the point. It's still alive and well in Illinois. And you show me any place in the country where there, there is really any sort of freedom for a grassroots candidate, anybody with populist. Um, you, you can do it on a. Hard by the media. You, you can do it on a. Get any kind of national, you know, exposure until it, it, they are completely co-opted. You could uh, be pushed as something that they're really not anymore. I think you could, John, and, and uh, matter of fact, your friend Kevin would argue against you because he and a bunch of people were able to uh, turn that bus around in whatever area they are, whether it was the township or the, whatever it was or the village. They were actually able to get a new slate in. It's probably 10, 15 years ago. And, uh, because they had kind of a corrupt group in there and they, they think they've been doing a lot better balanced budgets and everything since then. Uh, I think well, on, on some levels. At the township level, probably even in Cook County. But to, to get people to even recognize that there is such a thing as a township anymore before you start doing battle with the system is beyond most people and it's beyond most voters too it's not that it can't be done but there's so many reasons why it's never going to get done that it usually doesn't well I mean but you asked the question I I think that the uh, if everybody let's put it this way I, I, I'm going to I'm going to ask I'm going to ask the question not, not lead the witness because you're the attorney I can't lead you uh, I'm going to say that in Orland Park the guy who's the current mayor is going to run for uh, U.S. rep now I think he was able to come in from the outside and won a real hard-fought thing against the people who were in there, and I think the people in there were fairly corrupt, and they were able, by a, by a narrow vote, I'm talking about, I, I think it was like in the hundreds of ballots, that he was able to get in there and stay in in, in Orland. I mean, I, and I don't know how big Orland is, but I'm going to say that's probably about as big of an area as you could pull it off in without having drawing national attention and national money if you, if you try and if you try and rock the boat too much, well, I and mean, it's an it's an important race given that it's a, a prosperous part of the county. It's growing, unlike most places yeah. in Illinois. So that that I mean, as far as test cases, where if if you could do a sea change and have somebody with real grassroots appeal and and push them for you know something higher up on the food chain, um, it's more likely to come out of Orland Park, I think, than other places because that that matters. I mean, as not that no, no place does. But I mean, you can. I think you can it still make a difference in the county. You can you can still have a have umbrage, and you and you can still win an election. I'm going to say any election bigger than that. I don't know. I'm with you. You know, I don't. You you're definitely going to get influence from other places. This is where Trump, you know, like him or, or hate him, as you know, 
apparently everybody does if you read certain newspapers, but um, he is so despised by both parties, and you know, for, for very good reason, um, that this makes him appealing to people. Well, but Dan, I, I despise him because he, I despise him because he had the chance and he blew it. Well, he got zero cooperation. But he, the, zero. The, I mean, not not just no cooperation. You had the whole Ukrainian wing of the State Department taking him out. I, I, the Vidmans and Fiona Hill and Victoria Newland. Jen, Jen, the, the guy gets my French. The guy His own government was working against them. You know what, Jen? I mean, I, I, I would. I don't have the skill set to get that job. Right? When I was on the, the the board of the CBOE, sometimes there'd be a vote, and I'd be one or two people on my side. Well, next week, you know me well enough to know. Hey, Joe, what are you doing tonight? Let's, let's grab one at series. By next week, I'd come back with five votes. Said so we don't want to talk about this again. I didn't win very many, but but I was known as somebody that could could express my views to people, got along with people. People didn't want to not have a drink with me or a cup of coffee or whatever it was. Trump, he he pissed everybody off, even the people around his team. He couldn't. The, the guy the guy the guy couldn't. You know, whatever. I'm gonna say no. But he, could, he couldn't. He couldn't get sex in a women's prison with an armload of parties. What can I tell you? Off, you know, people willy nilly is going to succeed given the crappy parties we have now. It's going to take people to revolt against you know, the powers that be, and that's going to take somebody who's kind of a revolting personality. But he, I'm saying you can't, you can't antagonize your own cabinet and have half the guys leave in the first year. Well, the, but, but as far as the cabinet goes, Tom, don't you think now looking back on it that Trump was given a list of people from whom he could choose and that was it. I mean, it wasn't like there was another list of, of Trump's own making or Trump's people's making. And gradually, this was whittled down to the people who were least well, that's, traitorous. Jan, that's what happens. I'm saying that's what happens when you get to a place and you have no infrastructure, mental and friendship infrastructure around where you can do it yourself. Like Nobody the, liked who the guy. Want friends like the Republican Democratic organizations have to offer to you. Who needs friends like that? I, my, my point is. When you isolate, when you when your desk is fifteen magazines with your own picture on it, not even a computer, and, you, and nobody likes you, and they don't like you because you're unlike a bull. You've screwed everybody in life. Every every, every, every everybody who did work for the guy couldn't stand him. He never paid him. I mean, you, you you can't go through life like that, and all of a sudden one day decide where are all my buddies? Where they, who's going to help me out? The answer is nobody. Well, we could debate about how popular Trump really was in the twenty twenty election. But I'll tell you, in my way of looking at the world and the people I talked to, he was light years ahead of Biden. Light years. I, I, my, my point, John, is is that you, if, if you're going to walk... He pissed, and he pissed off even the people who loved him. He pissed off the people who voted for him twice. Yeah, that's why my... That's, but, but it's going to take somebody who pisses but, off but right now, But right now, his only... But his only advantage is, right now, is that he has, he has, he has a certain knowledge of what's, what's messing with the, with the common man. And, he, and he's got a big mouth that a lot and, of people seem Tom, to like. That's a skill that the other parties do not I, have. I never said the man had no skills. What I said is he disappointed right. me. But, but you show me anybody who's got anything like that in the Democratic leadership, Pelosi, Schumer. I'm hoping like they're not the leaders of the future. Now, well, the question they, is, thank God, but, but where are they? Well, I think the, the people they've anointed somewhere. I, I, I'm going to say. The judges, the Klobuchar. I'll, 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 I'll answer your question. I'll answer your question. This is their, this is their, you know, team Tom and you know let alone what the C and D teams are these people don't have a clue 
how to appeal to the Jan- people. We, we, we got a dash, but let's, let's fight on Thursday regarding. I'm going to say if we went, if we took 15 of the people just elected last year on both the Republican and Democratic side in the House, and you and I had the, the wherewithal to take them to Camp David, we would be stunned at the at how bright the, the future leadership in this country could be if we ever let them get there. Somehow they're not getting there, and therein lies the rub. And I don't know how that, let's discuss that on Thursday. It's a big, I actually think we have a lot of people around here that could be leaders. They're not well, getting, they don't get blocked or corrupted. They get blocked. Because that's been the history, Tom, really. I know, that, that's a problem. Uh, SP Futures down 26, NASDAQ Futures down 91. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know. All while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, I'm back, stocks and jocks. I'm Tom Allen. Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures. We're only down 24 now. Like I said, we were down uh, over 50 last night, so we've come at least halfway back. Nasdaq 
Uh, only down 89. Again, we've come way more than halfway back. I, I had those last night, like two, 250, somewhere in there. Dow's only down uh, 240. Yeah, we got individual stocks in the Dow that have, uh, are, are moving a chunk here. I got Disney down two. We got American Express down 245. Whenever we have international problems, we've got American Express uh, down, of course. Caterpillar's down 166. Of course, we got Chevron Texaco's up 146. Oil, oil prices shooting up the way they are. Uh, over in Asia, let's do the rest of the world here. Asia, pretty much a serious whack whack over here. UK down 764, uh, oh, 3%. They're back down to a 25,221 whole number. Shanghai down 74, that's 2%. Uh, Hang Seng down 847, that's almost 4%. 21,058 is the, that's a 4% move. That's a, that's a real lot. Uh, in Europe, we've got, come back some here. Dax um, only down 145, 1.1%. They were down more last time we did this. FTSE almost back to break even, only down 7. That's 0.1%. Uh, Kakarana up down 42.7%. So they've come back over there as well. As a way of review, Friday Dow down 179, S&P down 34, NASDAQ down 224. Uh, bonds going the other way that, that you would have suggested here. Uh, the Treasury yields are going up. Um, 1.79 is a 10-year. The Bund um, is back to break, well, it's back to zero. It's up nine basis points. It started the day at uh, minus point zero one, and now it's back to pretty much break even, a uh, break even, uh, f- flat. Japan uh, unchanged at point one seven. Uh, oil, here's what the big news is: two ninety one. It's up more than that because it, it, one eighteen fifty nine. It, it actually traded uh, uh, one one twenty, I believe. Uh, actually, it actually traded one thirty, which is. Uh, it's in its back down from there. It was up like twelve dollars. Uh, natural gas up four cents, five oh six. Arbob only up eight cents. It was up like fourteen last time we did this. So oil's come back pretty heavy here in the, first, in the last hour since we did the last traffic weather sports. Arbob three sixty two. Gold was up. Uh, it, it had hit two thousand an ounce, but it's back down to nineteen seventy six. So it's only down nine forty. Silver's actually down twenty one cents, twenty five fifty seven. Copper unchanged four ninety two. Uh, crypto. Uh, down twenty one bucks thirty eight thousand eight ten. That's down four thousand five thousand from the top on maybe Thursday morning. So this stuff is all over the place. Man, what do you got for us? Traffic weather sports snowing hey. after a seventy degree Saturday. That's exactly. even crazy. It's very very strange. But uh, yeah, currently March seventh, uh, seven thirty five a.m. First, before getting the weather, we're going to go to sports. In the NBA NBA last night, the Suns lost to Milwaukee Bucks one thirty two to one twenty two, and then tonight the Bulls go against the seventy sixers. Uh, last night in college basketball, the uh, Illinois beat Iowa 74-72. to And in hockey, Blackhawks lose to Tampa Bay Lightning 6-3. to And now onto the the weather. Uh, in Chicago right now, it is currently snowing very, very hard. Uh, and uh, 35 degrees at the moment, a high of 37 and a low of 23. Uh, down in Phoenix, it's a whole other story. Uh, very sunny and uh, 44 degrees right now, high of 69 and a low of 44. Now on to my area of expertise, traffic. Traffic eastbound on the Eisenhower, I-88 West, uh, all the way to downtown. Uh, again, on Eisenhower, uh, from traffic westbound on the Eisenhower, uh, from Racine all the way to 294 North Tri-State Ramp. Uh, traffic northbound 55 from the I-20 connector to 94th East Ramp. Traffic westbound 94 from I-30th or 130th to Foster. Traffic eastbound 94 uh, from Tui to Canal Port. Traffic westbound on I-90 between Lawrence and Route 171. Traffic eastbound I-90 from Lee Street all the way to Lawrence. It's very backed up today. Uh, and then finally, traffic on the 294 northbound between Irving Park Road and Highway 34. That's all we got, Chief. 
Back to you. John, should we should we terrorize young Matt and ask him where Canal Port is and what it was? <laughs> no, don't terrorize anybody, Tab. But, but yes, t- tell us the story of Canal Port because it's, it's an interesting street. Do you think, Matt, Matt, do you know the answer to that? Uh, well, I, it's in Chicago, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. It's, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, it, was a, it was where the I&M Canal started, right, John? Yeah. Um, where, where, the, where the river sort of became, you know, less navigable. And, and, and at that point, that this is where the canal was hooked in, and Bridgeport was slightly downriver from it, but, or down canal from it, I should say. Um, but it's where the, the south branch of the Chicago River kind of peters out. So. And it went all the way to, uh, where does it go? It goes, to, it goes past Marseille, the I&M Canal. Yeah, it hooks up in, uh, is it LSL or um, Peru? Yeah, before the, before the, enters, you know, the Illinois River. So, Matt, when you have uh, when you look at something that's navigable and you weren't about, you didn't have dredging equipment. The I and M Canal was actually, I'm, I'm going to say, sixty five miles, Chad. Yeah, because the, more time, I think. Um, sixty. That's that's a good estimate, I think. Because my uh, my brother and I did, uh, we we biked the I and M Canal Trail from just past Joliet and uh, Shanahan. Yeah. And we went all the way down to, uh, we went past Marseille, and I think we were 45, and we weren't at the end of it yet. But I was done. <laughs> After, I, was, I was ready. <laughs> but but it's, a, it's a beautiful trail. You know? uh, actually, it's not. What I've seen. The spots that you see are nice, but it has massive historical significance, but it's a it's a limestone trail. Right, it's, it's neglected. I mean, the, even the locks and channels. Oh, they're all, yeah, they're all messed you know, up. Just, I mean, they're, they're fascinating, but they are dilapidated, and, you know, there's not much of them left. Certainly nothing that's working. But, I mean, I, I'd read about aqueducts my whole life, the first time I actually saw one. That's that's spectacular. When yeah. It the Displains River there. That's yeah. Like, that's pretty interesting. But the only place that they there was there was no aqueduct. It went it, it went across the uh uh is it the the uh not the displays, what's the other one? Uh the one that goes through Naper Tucky. Uh um how's that river? <laughs> is it the, uh, no no, it's uh it floods once in a while. It goes through downtown Naper Tucky. Um uh whatever whatever the, the fox. No, 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 not the, there's there's a smaller one where the where the waters actually do they don't, there's no aqueduct there, the waters actually do mingle. Oh, there's a, it's a creek. Um, a but anyway, the it's the uh, I don't know. I'll think of it. But yep. but the um, yeah, but it's it's pretty fascinating. The only problem is you get but it, you're going through areas that are really out there, nothing but you and the bugs and in, in, in the trail. But there's some there's there's some spots that are are not are not populated at all. I mean, you're going through those areas and it's hot and it's sticky and it's buggy. So we get to well, of course we get to the end, and my brother who's a uh, Let's put it this way. He's in spectacular condition. He goes, all right, should we start back? And I'm going, <laughs> you can start back. I said, you see that over there? What's that? I go, you see that bar? You see that nice table outside? It's nice warm. I said, I'm calling Audrey. She'll come get us. You're welcome to drive back. We'll pick you up. And that's Robin I'm stand waiting for. So, so I call Audrey. I said, hey, here's the news. The bad news is you got to come get us. The good news is I'm taking you to dinner. She goes, okay. Odd's always a good soul. So we went, we had a few beers, I showed up, we went to the beer schnubi for some huge German dinner and everything. Life was good, what can I say? <laughs> but yeah, it was my bike filthy from the, the all that, uh, 40 miles on that limestone. Stuff kicks up and, uh, it's, you know, it's okay, but it's, I'd rather be on a paved trail, just saying. But anyway, it's well, just... Well, that was a dirt path, really, it 
towpath, I think. I mean, it was just well, yeah, it was a just towpath. Dirtier, probably. Oh yeah, I mean, well, at least there wasn't any mule poop on there like it used to be. But uh, but no, anyway, Matt, the I and M Canal is what really is. It's what put Chicago on the map. The year the I, the I and M Canal was finished is the, is the year the Board of Trade opened. Wow. The uh, Chicago became a, a destination point and a delivery spot for grain. In order for you to have grain futures, you have to have delivery spots, right, Jen? Yeah, and boy, Chicago was well positioned for that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, the uh, when when they when they first saw the rivers here, they thought it would be like a two or three mile canal. But you you have to go from where it's nav where it's deep enough to where it's deep enough. And you have to go a long way down the Illinois River before you could before there was dredging to get to a spot where it was you know eight or ten feet deep, right? And uh, I mean, you got to go way down. Same way like here. I mean, uh, uh, you know, the, the river, so the, uh, if, so obviously the sanitary and ship canal, once you can start dredging, you don't have to go anywhere near as far. Anyway, more, more, more than anybody cares to know about, about water, water management in the midst of wars and everything else. John, what do you, what do you sense? I mean, I, uh, was mentioning earlier when Lou was on, right, regarding the, the two people fighting on TV. When is the administration going to wake up and realize what's causing all this inflation? I mean, there, they're really screwing the population here, but they—they they, but they're also spending. I mean, let me ask you. I mean, what would you do first? They're all—they're also spending. I'm going to say forty percent. I'm going to get the actual numbers here, but forty percent of more than they're than they're taking in, and they then they think it's all justified, and they and they want to do more, right? So I mean, it's not like you know this isn't all planned, but they—they've got the idea that we're 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 going to essentially print the rest and. uh you know, with all with all the the associated baggage with doing that, meaning inflation, and they're in denial on it, but but they're, but they're going to do it. Now we also now we got you know this uh, you know potential of a war, or certainly us supporting somebody, which was not in the budget. Uh, you know, we're, we're not. What would you do if you if you if they plunked your ass in the Oval Office? What would be what do you do first? I mean, it is really tough right now to pull back on some of the spending, especially if we if we now have military spending that we didn't, uh, you know, we certainly didn't anticipate. Maybe we should have, but we didn't. Uh, you know, I, I mean, wh- how do you, just to give everybody the, the numbers I'm, I'm talking about here before, so it doesn't sound like I'm just shooting off at the mouth. Uh, last year, the uh, federal budget actual spending, federal actual spending, was seven roughly seven point one trillion dollars, and the actual uh, federal tax revenue was was uh, four trillion. So you'll hear. I mean, if you ask somebody what the deficit was, they'll, they're going to say uh, the, the the official budget deficit was two point eight trillion. The unoffi- the actual is almost three trillion exactly. But the number is horrifying. But the percentage is even more horrifying. It's really so. Out of seven, you're taking in four, which is which is what sixty percent. Yeah. So you're 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 forty percent shy, which is on a percentage basis is dramatic. You know, I mean, how do you how do you make that up? And yet, uh, you know, so when you do that, the traditional ways are that you raise taxes, which nobody wants to do, or I don't know if you can do it to that extent. And or you go out and borrow the money. Well, if you went out and borrowed the money, the sucking sound you'd see with everybody writing checks to the government would be a lot. 
So now, now what do you do? And uh, so what they've been doing is they've been, I'm going to say at least a third of that, they've just been printing money, which is what's causing the inflation. This is all, it all I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward, John. I mean, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no real mystery here. And yet, that's what's causing the inflation, but they're totally in denial of that. I mean, what, but if you were there, if you were to say, hey, Joe, uh, wake up, my man, these are the first five things you have to do. What are the five things? Well, I mean, they have to raise rates, and they have to raise them significantly. And they have to explain, you know, the pain and suffering that will cause, too, but, but to characterize it as, you know, in the long run, it's going to be our salvation. If we don't do that at least, then we'll just keep bumbling along and, and printing ever more money. But, but do, you, do you really see anybody in Washington encouraging that kind of frankness? I don't. No, well, I can't okay. imagine. You know, Powell has just sent the, the slightest trial balloons that there's going to have to be some adjustment to these rates. But there's there's no coming close to saying exactly what that should be. Well, number one, somebody has to say, Hey, hey, look it. Hey, look it. Remember, remember our buddy Pat Burke, that was his favorite line? Hey, look it. Uh, hey, look it. If, if there's a 10% inflation and the interest rates are zero, the end of the year, maybe you'll be lucky and put your money in Apple and Apple will go up or the market or something. But by and large, by the end of the year, your million dollars is now worth 900000 Society right now is not getting that. But but here's here's the issue they have, John. We're, let's just take a national debt number of... Thirty trillion. I'm going to say if you what's the the ten year rates one point seven. The short term rate is what point three maybe point zero three zero zero three. So they're paying right now on average. Let's make it simple and saying they're making they're paying an average of one percent on all national debt. It's probably a little higher than that, but let's let's be dumbos here. And, and all right, so one percent times thirty trillion is what. Three hundred million dollars, billion dollars in, in in interest payments. Correct. Right. All right. So uh, make that two percent. Every one percent, given the bleep hole we're in, uh, is every one percent is three hundred billion dollars in excess interest. Interest the government now has to pay. So if you move the interest rate up to where it should be right now, like in the the rest free rate, say you moved it up into three or four percent range, say three, you're talking another six hundred billion dollars a year. Now, to be, which nobody else is going to do this, but if you follow that through, the people who earn that interest, okay, now we're going to pay taxes on it, so you're going to get, let's say, thirty percent of that back, right? So it's not a zero sum game. If when you pay it, the people you pay it to have to take it as income, and say the the uh, income tax rate is thirty percent. You're going to get thirty percent of that back. So, if if you raise interest rates two percent, your interest costs are going to get up up six hundred billion, but you're going to get you know one eighty of it back, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Now, is that too complicated for radio? Probably, but but uh, but that but this is the way this is the way you expect your politicians and people in government to actually do the math and actually have a pencil and a piece of paper and a calculator, right? And figure this stuff out. It's not that difficult. But now, but but you're going to have to do that because you can't just. The other side of the coin is, if inflation is ten percent a year, use the round number, and and I got some big some big dummy which I never accused John of being, 
I would say, hey, Jan, you know, I, I really need a $1,000 loan for like five years. And you say, okay. Okay, so five years from now, what am I giving you back? 600 In terms of real value? Yeah. Well, I hope we're not dumb enough to put up with that, but it's, it appears we are. Aren't we? Oh, this is, you know, how cockeyed everything has become where it's impossible to be honest about it, Tom. Because to really put it in real numbers, what you'd be getting back, you know, you wouldn't enter into the deal at all. <laughs> You're losing. Yeah. But, you, but you know, think what this means for, I'm just going to, like, take a brief segue to the housing situation um, as an example of what we're perpetuating if we don't raise rates. Um because the, the mortgage rates are low, you know, and the, the the business is really cooking up. I can see it everywhere I go in Chicago. Stuff that has been kind of moribund for a while has seems to have exploded. I don't know who's who's buying the stuff, um, but there are bidding wars, from what I hear. And Audrey probably has her. Um, you know what? That's that is. Uh, there's still some, but that has really died down from last summer. Really. Yeah, I mean, it's not nowhere near like it was. She had, she had a, a bungalow on, uh, anyway, you ever, that area on, uh, 87th, uh, just north of 87th Street between, um, let's say Pulaski and Cicero. The, the bungalows, I mean, we, li- we lived in a bungalow. Uh, hell, anybody on the south side at some point probably lived in a bungalow. I've never, I've never seen a bungalow as big as these places. It had, it had to have been 15 feet longer and 10 feet wider than ours. It had, Two full, two full bathrooms right next. I mean, it was huge, but that whole area over there, they have massive lots. The lots, John, got to be forty-five feet, which in the city is, you know, pretty unbelievable. And uh, anyway, she had a bungalow for sale over there. It wasn't really all that updated. She had, don't she have seventy-five people at the open house? She had something like twenty-five bids on the place. Like what the hell? But that, that was last summer. None of that. You're not seeing. Now, you're only getting that if you intentionally, you intentionally price it below market. So, some people feel, and I don't, you know more about the real estate stuff than I do. Some people feel that if a house is worth, you know, 385, you should just list it at, you know, 390 or something and plan on selling at 385. I mean, and there are, there are times when, when you want to price it kind of where it's supposed to be and hopefully the first weekend the thing sells and everybody's happy. But somehow, John, there, there are times when if it's worth three, and I, I don't begin to know this, I mean, Audrey knows more about it than me. There's, there's times when people get all crazed, and if it's, if you want 385 for it, you list it at 360 and watch the people compete, you might get 400. I don't, as a former trader on the floor, I don't get that mentality at all, but evidently it's out there. Because sometimes you list it lower, and then if the first person comes in higher, you actually, you actually generate almost like a scrum around the thing when everybody wants it. I, I, that mentality, like I said, for my, my market was by market. Hey, I'm an eighth to a quarter. What do you want to do? You know, type, they evidently that's that works in some sometimes some places. And I, I mean, Audrey seems to know when to do it and when not to. I have no clue. I mean, I'll be here. I'm out of my. I'm a fish out of water here. Well, I, I foresee if we if things don't. Turn around with you know with a rise in interest rates. I foresee a housing bubble 
similar, but but entirely different, given its causes to what we saw in 2008. I'm with really you. Fraud driven. One of 2008. I mean, it was, that wasn't because of you know people looking for investment opportunities. You know, it, to, when other investment opportunities had pretty much evaporated, it was because anybody who you know, was, could get into the real estate market, whether you were qualified or not. And, you know, there were tons of buyers who normally would not be buyers. And that just drove up obscenely the prices of property. And, and when it crashed, it crashed big time, and we're still paying the price for it 14 well, years later. I think in some ways we're more stretched now. Matter of fact, we had breakfast yesterday with uh, Audrey's uh, mortgage friend, Nancy, who's been on the air. And the lady is dropped dead brilliant when it comes to mortgages. I mean, and, and she says, well, what do you think I should? Right now, these rates just came down in the last couple of weeks. I said, Nancy, every person you've ever sold a place to, if they plan on living there, I said, they're already in, in hack because the place is, is too high. But I said, if, if, if you can refinance anybody in the next month, if, if this is going to keep going on, these rates are, are actually going down for a little bit, you gotta, you got to refinance everybody you can. I mean, just plan on having uh, your best month ever, and then, and then I don't know what's going to happen after that. But... Uh, I think most of these homes, John, you look at the people that have bought them, I think most of these homes can't come close to trading at those prices if mortgage rates are five and a half or six. There's no way. Oh, I agree. I agree. Maybe that's what we should be, if not any for, but at least be willing to accept because the the alternative is that we're going to, you know, destroy the market, you know, by, by... just blissfully going along and letting the low rates invite, you know, bidding wars for properties that aren't worth as much as people are paying for them. And that, when they wake up from that, you know, delirium, as we know, it takes decades sometimes to wake up from it. Uh, we'll have a worse situation than we have now. Um, I worry that, I, you know, the, the, the thing that I, I see happening, you've got the, the people who have money to invest will see real estate as an opportunity when there's nothing else around. Um, and that's it kind of always the thing that's initially driven real estate bubbles, um, because it's it's a safer investment. It's a more it's a, you know you, you can actually make money on real estate in some climates than you can better than you can in other areas. But 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 then that's certainly the situation we have now with, with rock bottom interest rates. And what, what can you make money on if if it's not real estate? I don't know. And well, even that's iffy. I'm not saying it's a sure thing. Well, Jan, you learn you learn a. Uh well, you learn a few things on the trading floor, but one of the things you learn is that if you're going to make a market, and, and people who are on one side of a transaction sometimes don't understand that there's always another side. Now, if I'm trading in some stock that uh, doesn't trade too much, and somebody says, uh, hey, Flanagan Inc., where are you on these calls? And I'll go, I don't know, quarter or a half, all right, I'll sell you 20. Now I'm sitting there going, okay, what's it going to take for that phone to ring? The next guy's saying, hey, how much you want... I want to buy those things and buy them for me at half so I can make some money. And as always, I'm wearing it, as we used to say on the floor. Uh, I mean, you have to be careful on the, it's not about you being able to afford the place. It's about three years from now, two years from now, five years from now, you get a job opportunity in, uh, in a, on the way to San Jose, like the song said. All of a sudden, who are you going to sell it to? And now your taxes are up 40%, and oh, by the way, your interest rates are up to five and a half percent, who the hell are you going to sell it to at that price? So you have to be mindful not just of you buying it. Buying, 
buying those calls on the floor. It was the easy part. Trying to find somebody to buy them from me, that's the hard part. <laughs> right? Right. Oh, yeah, I, I, I get you. But, you know, when, when people are hungry or desperate, yeah. you know, they, they will do things that they wouldn't do in saner times. So. Well, you, you, but one thing you can't do, especially in this day and age, you can't buy a house you can't afford, generally. Unless it's 2008. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, but that—that that, that, the, the scandal on that has will probably never be fully told. Um, that, well, not it isn't. Life, but also, anyway. but why? Why now, John? Why? Why houses? Let's go back three years in a, in a neighborhood where, say, the bung, the I'll just use numbers. The, the bung, the, the bungalows, the end of South Side, were 150 grand. Okay, and everybody could, you know, everybody that lived in that neighborhood, their income was they could buy they could buy a place for 150 grand. All of a sudden. Somebody pays one pays one seventy five. All right, now they appraise at one seventy five. Then somebody pays two hundred. Now they appraise at two hundred. Even a one or two sold there. I, I had a friend in two thousand eight. She told me they had a they had a block party. Everybody's sitting out there, and all they did was talk about how not one of them could afford the house at the current price. Not even close. I I think we're getting there, Jen. I think oh, we yeah. have, we've we've been there. But how do they? But how does how does the, the appraisal double in in, in Two and a half years with ten out of five hundred trading. Well, it shows what's wrong with real estate valuation and how little other data or, or you know input there is in creating trends of pricing. The, the appraise and this is where you know the, the market got so skewed in twenty oh eight because the appraisers were in on the fraud, where they just threw you know rational appraisals to the wind. And the, the, I think the appraisal industry is lucky in that if there wasn't a more visible, you know, hunting down of the people who, who participated in the fraud then, because the, it's the appraisals that grease the wheels of everything else, the fake appraisals. Well, if, you, if like I said, the neighborhood averages we got a dasher is averaging 150, and, and two idiots pay, pay 200, somebody has to determine, are they idiots or are they clairvoyant? You know, and, and time will tell, right? And that's, you know, you, you let the market kind of speak for itself, and that's the problem with, with with real estate because there's so many other things to it that do not translate to rational explanations or to rational data. It's it's the the drift you get about where the city is or this neighbor is headed, and some people think maybe, maybe somebody sees something I don't see or nobody else sees, and it starts you know the ball rolling, and it doesn't take long for it to gather a lot of steam. John, we got a dash, but thank you for hanging around. Oh, SP sure. Futures down 15 now. Who knows? We could be up today. SP Futures only down 50. That would be nice for a change. Uh, back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. Stocks and Jacks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.
When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. No, man. I believe you get your ass kicked saying something like that, man.